Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. called Running with the Giants, and uh, basically what we're doing is we have this key verse for the whole series. Uh, It's in Hebrews 12. It says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Basically, what the Apostle Paul is saying here, this is the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, he's referring to your life as a race. And he's saying, hey, let's throw off everything that we can, the sin, let's throw off every distraction, and let's run our race really well. Now, I don't know if you've ever run a race before or done one of those couch to 5K things, but that's really great to get some information on the front end, right? It's great to read a book or to read an article to help you understand how to do a race or something like that, but it's even better to have somebody join you in that race and run alongside you, right? There's definitely a difference in information and relationship, right? And so what we're doing in this series is is we are taking people from the Bible and we're allowing them to mentor us, to kind of run our race alongside of us. Why? Well, because they've been there, right? They've completed their race already and they learned much. They went through much and they have gifts to give us if we will allow them to. And so that's what we're doing. Every Sunday, we're going to run a lap with one one character from your Bible and we're going to listen to what they would have to tell us, how they would encourage us, and how they would instruct us. And this is going to be a great help for you, an encouragement, of course, and then you'll also learn a bit of your Bible a little better as well. And so I'm excited about it. Last week we looked at Isaiah, and Isaiah was a prophet, or what they called a seer, okay? And Isaiah helped us last week to see our spiritual journey a little better. Today we're going to focus on a guy who was a main character of the Old Testament, Uh, His name was Jacob. Now, Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. Abraham was the father of the Jews. He was the one that God spoke to and said, hey, I'm going to bless the nations through your children. And so Abraham had Isaac and Isaac had Jacob, okay? And there's, there's many different messages I could do on the story of Jacob's life because the Bible really covers it in detail. I mean, there's a lot to talk about there. But, but I would say that this is the one thing that Jacob could teach us, and that is when your life isn't turning out the way that you hoped, we need to do one thing. Because see, here's Jacob was guilty of this particular thing, and, and I think a lot of us are guilty of it, especially men in this room and especially young people in this room, and that is taking control of our lives. When life isn't turning out the way that we had hoped, we can't stop trying to take control. The more we control or try to control, the more we realize that we are not in control of our lives, right? And from the moment Jacob was born, he tried to control his life. In fact, Jacob was born a twin. He had a, has a brother named Esau. And the Bible records that Esau came out of the womb first, but Jacob, Jacob reached out of the womb and grabbed on to his brother's heel as if to say, get back in here. I'm supposed to be out first, you know? And so Jacob was trying to control that. Why? Why, why would that matter? Well, because the child born first is the one who got what's called a birthright or got the, bless, the blessing from the father. He got the most of everything, right? 
And so from day one, Jacob is trying to manipulate things, and the rest of his life basically looked like that. He kept trying to write his own script for his future, and he just kept messing it up, and we're, we're just the same as him. We try to be in control. We try to write our own stories. We try to leave God out of it and be self-sufficient, self-reliant. But God has scripted our futures, and we just continue to try to write our own. So part of Jacob's story was not only did he initially try to, when he was born, to be the firstborn, but that was like his issue the rest of his life. It was the thing that he focused on. In fact, you find later on that in Jacob's life that his brother, who was a hunter, came in from the field one day, and his brother didn't plan well. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that where you didn't plan food really well, right? You've been out shopping all day long or working, and you get hungry. You get so hungry, you're to the point that you're angry, right? Like you're hangry, and you're just grumpy. You do anything for a bite of something, you know? And this is Esau. He comes in from the field, and Jacob decides to dupe his brother to trade. He says, look, give me your birthright. Give me that right to be blessed by dad when he passes, and I'll go ahead and make you a meal. And that's exactly what Esau did. Now, there's a whole message there about how we trade our futures for our appetites that I'm just going to leave lay. We'll come back to it at another time somewhere down the road. But, but this is what Jacob did. He tricked his brother. He tried to control his future, right? Later on down his life, Jacob goes to get married. And, and what happens? Well, he's supposed to marry this one girl, and he kind of makes the whole situation becomes messy. It becomes a, a hot mess, which is just a mess that heat has been applied to, right? It's a hot mess. And, and he ends up uh, in a crisis, okay? He ends up in a situation. And, and let me just tell you this. We're all the same as Jacob. When we try to control things, we're going to wind up in a crisis. And you have the opportunity. See, you can learn from Jacob today and avoid the crisis situation, or you can go through the crisis and learn from it. It's one or the other. You, you, don't, you get to choose, though. That, that's the beauty of today. You get to choose which one it is, whether you're going to go through it or you're going to learn from Jacob. Because if Jacob were here, I believe that he would tell us this one thing. He would tell us to let God have control of your life. What that means is just saying to God, look, you have control, I trust you. Everything that I have, it's all, it's all in your hands. And I, I think every single one of us needs to do this. This is, this is what God has for us, to completely surrender to him. But I think even, even Christians, even Christians miss this because we go, well, God, you know, I want to say yes to you, and I sure like the fire insurance, like I'm saying yes to heaven and no to hell, but I don't really want to give you control of my relationships I don't really want to give you control of my, my family and my parenting. I don't want to give you control on the job. I kind of like how I'm leading it so far. Or I don't want to give you control over my finances. This, this is just not what I'm going to do. My private time, my thought life, my resources, no, those are mine. But you're Lord, number one. But that's not what it means. If Jesus is Lord, he's in charge of it all. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And I think we just miss it. We're afraid because we're afraid that trusting God with all that stuff, that it won't work out the way that we hope, right? We want to control it. We want an expected outcome. And what always happens is when we try to control it and script our own futures is that it leads to a crisis. Now, I don't believe that God brings the crisis, but I do believe that he will allow the crisis to get our attention. And let me tell you this, that you will never know that God is all you need until he is all you have. Mother Teresa said that. I love that. You can go through the crisis and discover 
that God is all you need, or I can, you can just trust me today that God's all you need and just surrender control. You don't need to wind up in a crisis. You can learn from Jacob. And in Jacob's story, as Jacob entered into that crisis mode, he actually came face to face with God. And I want you to see that there are three things through Jacob's life that happen and, and, and result when God is in control. So you can wait on that crisis or not, or you can give control to God. And when God is in control, you'll get this, you'll get a new strength. If you're taking notes, the first thing that, that will result from God being in control is that you'll get a new strength. So you don't have to rely on you supporting you anymore. That's basically what that means. You don't have to build your reputation. You don't have to worry about what people think about you anymore. You don't have to worry about becoming all self-sufficient where you beat your chest and say, I've completed this, I've done this on my own. This is, this is not what giving control to God looks like. You have a new strength if you give it to him. In fact, the only happy place that you'll find is when God is in control and you're operating in his strength. Why? Because, you know, your strength doesn't cut it anyhow. If it was, and if it did cut it, you wouldn't need him. Now, if you look at some of the background here of, of the story that we're getting ready to jump into on Genesis 32, you'll see that, that Jacob, up to this point in his life, so he tricked his older brother Esau into the birthright. Later on, he went to his father and he lied to his father, wearing clothes that were Esau's because his father was blind, wore clothes that were Esau's, even put goat hair on his arm because Esau was a hairy guy, went in and made a meal for his dad, and his dad, who was getting ready to pass, said, are, are you my son Esau? You feel like him. You smell like him. But you're, the voice is Jacob's voice. He says, no, no, I'm, I'm Esau. Chill out, dad. And so his dad blesses him and gives him the inheritance. And then Esau comes in and finds out what his brother's done. Well, of course, Esau is angry. He's mad. And he wants to kill Jacob. So Jacob has had to flee. Trying to control the situation led him to a crisis. He just ran from it. Then he goes to his uncle's house. He's there in his uncle's house. His uncle's house, everything's going bad. His uncle's upset with him. So what does he do? He has to flee there. He has to leave there. And he's like, I'm going to go back home. But he decides, in going back home, because he's now become wealthy, it's been over 14 years or so since he's been home, and he's like, I'm going to go appease my brother, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to parade like this really big gift in front of him. I'm going to send it on ahead of me, and I'm going to tell my servants and their flocks to go. And, and when they see Esau and he says, what is this? They're say, oh, all this is for you. Your brother's coming behind us. And then, then he sent his family and all the flock with them. And they said, hey, we're, we're just coming in. You, you, our brother, your brother Jacob's just behind you. And so what happens is, is Jacob is now by himself. He's trying to control and manipulate the outcome of his relationship with Esau yet again. And he's in a situation. He finds himself alone. And Genesis 32, 24 says this. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him. Now, the Bible calls, says this a man, and it's being more poetic in its description. But we know from theologians that this man was to believe, believe to be God in the flesh. Like he, that God appeared to him as a man. Or, they, or it's believed that it was Jesus. We see that several times in the Old Testament where a man, the Bible describes a man who just kind of appeared out of nowhere. And if anything, it, we, we are sure and certain of that this was an angel. But you know that an angel acts on behalf of God when they stand there. They stand in his authority. They use his words. And so either way, we know that, that we call this God, that God or a man came and wrestled with him until the, uh, until the dawn began to break. Some of you, this is you. You're constantly wrestling with God. You're in the middle of a situation. You know you need to relinquish control to him, and yet you're wrestling with him. 
It says, when the man saw that he would not win the match, because Jacob was so stubborn, by the way, he would not relent, that he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. In other words, it was some kind of X-Men crazy kind of thing, like, all right, boy, we've been wrestling all night long. Here you go, boop, and bang, this thing just pops out of, out of its socket. And what happens is, is like Jacob begins to walk with a limp. God let him wrestle with him for a while so that he would just eventually get to a place where he was tired and wore out, right? Or he would just relent, but he didn't. And so God says, I'm going to show you how powerful you're not. Watch this. Boop. And it forever changed Jacob's life. It created a situation for him. And God did not do that because he was mad at Jacob. Some of you think, God's mad at me because I've been wrestling. And that, that's not the case. God's not mad at you. He loves you. He allowed that to happen because he loves you. It's kind of like watching your kids sometimes, you know. Anybody have kids and they're just kind of stubborn a little bit, you know. Like you tell them, hey, that's hot. Don't touch it. Johnny, that's hot. Don't touch it. It's hot. Don't touch it. And Johnny's going for it anyway. He's not going to listen to you. So you just kind of, as a parent, got to step back and let him learn that it's hot because he didn't listen. You know what I'm saying? Now, you don't want them to be scalded or burned or nothing, but, you, I mean, you want them to learn that was hot, right? they got to learn their lesson. Sometimes this is the best way to love your child, and this is God loving us. He's like, all right, that's fine. I'm, I'm just going to show you that how much you do need me. And, and I would tell you that, that this is God giving us an invitation to his strength, giving us an invitation to stop being self-reliant. Hey, just trust me. Just trust me that I know what I'm talking about. Just trust me when I say I can be in control. Some of you are just too self-reliant. You say, well, how do I know if I'm self-reliant? Well, I'll tell you, one of the ways you know you're self-reliant is all that you're doing, you know, being a good husband or spouse or, or being a good employee or even being a good Christ follower, all of it is like exhausting you. And if you're constantly in a state of being wore out, then you know that all the stuff that you're doing is all in your own strength because you are exhausted. Jesus would say this, that if you're tired from your own fight, he would say in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, many of you who know this verse know where, know where it goes from there, but if you're unfamiliar with it, you know that the next line are not what you would expect because when somebody says, hey, come over and rest, that means we're going to have a nap. You know what I'm saying? There is a couch and like an iced tea with lemonade in it ready for me, you know, and, and like you know, my favorite book or my favorite show, or, or, or we're, we're just going to rest, right? That's what rest means. But that's not what Jesus says. That, that's not what he says. He says, come to me and rest, and I will give you rest. And then the next thing he says is get back to work. Look, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He didn't say come relax, kick up your feet. He said get back to work. He said, but you're going to get back to work a different way. He said, I want you to take my yoke. Now, what you need to know is that a yoke was a piece of wood with two holes in it. And it was done that so that you could put two oxen in it, right? And they would, they would plow together. And they, it was to keep them in a straight line and help them pull the thing. But, you know, there was two different kinds of yokes available to them that day. There was the generic Walmart versions, you know, that are just like the ones that are one size fits all kind of thing. And a lot of farmers would make those and put them on their oxen, but as the oxen would work, it would rub them raw. It would be painful for them to work. In fact, you know, you'd have to deal with the sores and the splinters and all the other issues that came along with just having the generic version. But the other kind of yoke, the yoke that Jesus spoke of here, the word that he used to say yoke was a custom fit yoke. In fact, you would, what you would do as a farmer during the day is you would take the measurements of your beast, like, you know, across this mass of chest like that, you know, just 
Oh, you don't have to laugh that hard. <laughs> Hurt my feelings. Anyway, you'd measure it, measure the neck and everything, and you'd take it to a carpenter, and the carpenter would, would, would make a custom fit for your animal. And as they were working, the work would be easier because it was custom fit to them. If you've ever worked with anything that's custom fit, man, you know the difference between the generic, the one size fits all, and the one that fits you perfect. You know what I'm saying? You're able to work harder and longer because it fits you. And Jesus said, take my yoke, take the one that's a perfect fit for you, and use it. And some of you have been living a life that doesn't perfectly fit you. You've chosen it. It's the life that you have given yourself. But God has a yoke for you while you're working that will give you rest. That you'll be able to do what you're doing, but you'll be able to do it in his own strength. You know, a sure sign of God working in your life and you giving him control is rest. The rest is not inactivity. It is a condition of your soul. Rest is while I'm working, I'm not, it's not wearing me out. Isaiah 40 says this, that those who hope in the Lord will renew your strength and mount up with wings like eagles. Yeah, some of you guys know that verse, eagles. Now, it's really important that when you read your Bible that you actually understand your Bible. Anybody ever seen an eagle fly before? They are majestic. It's beautiful watching an eagle fly in the air. They just kind of up there, they're just kind of soaring like this. It's almost, it, it makes you feel very, really patriotic. It's like, my country tis. You know, you see an angle an eagle flying around. They're just amazing. But what you'll notice about an eagle, the eagle as they fly, they're not flapping. Do you ever notice that? All the other birds that are soaring across the sky are like, they're just working really, really hard to stay in the air. But an eagle, he just soars. What's up? Why? Well, here's what happens. An eagle will sit in its nest. And it will wait for what's, what's called a thermal current. It's a hot air that rises. And the only flap that an eagle ever does is the flap to get him up out of his nest. And then he hits that thermal current and just says, what's up? I'm flying. That's it. He just rides it. In other words, the eagle is now flying without flapping. He is using a strength and a power that does not even belong to him. Oh, no, that was better than you guys just gave, gave me credit for. That's all right, though. That's all right. See, God says, yeah, I want you to be like eagles. You'll mount up with wings like eagles. In other words, you're going to soar on a strength that is not even your own. I mean, you can be like all those birds, and some of you are like this. Some of you are like hummingbirds. You ever seen a hummingbird flap? That dude's moving so fast you can't even see his wings. You know what I'm saying? He's just like, and you're like this. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Sunday, whew, just chilling. Then back to it, Monday, Tuesday, you're just flapping, working on your own strength. I get tired watching a hummingbird. Like, I need a nap watching a hummingbird. You know what I'm saying? Like, dude, chill. But so many of us are like that. We are trying to fly on our own strength. And God intended us to work and fly and to soar on a power that has nothing to do with us. Give God control, and you'll get a new strength by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what rest is. The second thing that Jacob would teach us is that when you give God control of your life, you get a new identity. This is something that's been really powerful in my life. And I, I want to say this. It's not necessarily a new identity. It's just actually God's intended identity for you. Because so many of you have been writing your own story of your life, and there's an identity that's attached to it that God never intended for you. 
<clears throat> for a lot of us, if you give God control, he'll bring you back to your original identity. And it'll be better than the, the life you're currently living. You need to trust me. Genesis 32, continuing Jacob's story, after he wrestled with him and he touched his hip, the angel says to him, what is your name? Now what's going to happen when you encounter God and when you give, go to give God control of your life? He's going to make you come face to face with your identity. And so Jacob responds. He says, my name's Jacob, which means trickster, deceiver. He's like, this has been my life. This has been the identity for me because of the story that I've written. I, I, I've been this man. And the angel responds, or the man told him, from now on, oh, sorry, you will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, which means prince of God. He said, you'll be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Look, God looks at him and said, nope, that's not the way that I see you. I don't see you as a deceiver. Oh, that's been your past. But remember, God's done settled your past. See, when Jesus hung on the cross, he uttered these words, it is finished, and he meant it. See, your past is your past. God doesn't care about it. He doesn't look at your past. He doesn't care. He wants you from this moment forward, which means he's looking to the future. God doesn't see actualities. He sees possibilities. That's how God sees you. He sees who you could be. He sees the life you could have if you would surrender control to him, not who you've been and what you're doing now. For me, I, I'll tell you that I, I struggled with this. You know, when I was a kid, I knew that God had called me to ministry. I knew, I knew that, that, that he put his hand on my life, and he said, Aaron, you're going to serve me in, in this way. But you know one of the things that I struggled with when God did that to me is that I was an awkward little kid. I was weird. Get it out. Just let it out. That's fine. I, I was a weird little dude. I was socially awkward. I didn't know how to talk to people. In fact, my older brother, Jeremy, who comes to church here, he's, I think he'll, he's not here right now, is he? He'll be here second service maybe. But my brother told jokes and was constantly surrounded by people. He, would, he could command a room. And I just admired the snot out of him. And so I would try to tell jokes like my brother. And my own mother, my own dear sweet mother, who I think is on the beach watching live right now, would say, Aaron, let, let your brother tell the joke. He's, he's just better at it. Let, it. let him do it. My mother. She would. And I, I'd say, all right. And I'd step up. Because I'd stutter and stammer through it. I didn't know how to talk to people. I knew the joke and the punchline, but I just wasn't good. Later, so I, I continued in ministry, and, but, but, you know, I, I really didn't know much about nothing. I, I was just following Jesus, and I got a little older, and I had an opportunity to, to, to interview for a youth pastor position in Oklahoma, and the pastor that was there was talking to me. He'd come to Columbus and was interviewing a bunch of us, and, and, and he was talking to me, and he really liked me. He liked what people had to say about me. He said, but can you preach? And I was like, no, I mean, that's your qualification. I'm out. So I had this identity. I, 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 I didn't know how to preach. I didn't know how to communicate. I didn't know how to talk to people. I just wasn't any good at it. I chose things that would keep me in the back seat. I didn't want to be in the front. I never wanted to be under all these lights and standing in front of people talking. It would just kind of scared me. I was living out a different script. I, I, I began to write my own. I began to to learn how to perform, and I took up performance arts to help me, and, and, and they really, really did. 
But it was some years later that, because I walked away from God. Many of you know part of my story. I walked away from God. But, but in 2010, I, I actually surrendered complete control of my life to God. As an adult, I said, I understand what this is. I'm going to give you complete control. And when my pastor started talking to me and said, had you ever thought about being a pastor before? I said, yeah, I know God's called me to do that. Let's go. I didn't even think twice about the fact that I'd never preached before, that I didn't know how to communicate in front of people. I, I, I didn't even think twice about it. I said, let's do it. Let's go, Jesus. I'm just following you because I, I trusted God. I gave him control. I said, I've never done this before, but I believe if you call me to it, you're going to equip me for it. That's where so many of us need to be. Whatever God's called you to, whatever he puts his hand on in your life, if he's leading you, just go. It doesn't matter if you're ready. It doesn't matter if you have all the knowledge. In fact, that's what happens next is Jacob looks at him and says to him, hey, you know, what's your name? And he's like, I'm not even going to tell you my name. It don't matter. You don't need that knowledge. That, that, that's it. It, do, it does not even matter. Jesus did the same thing for Simon Peter. See, God, God, years later, he changed my life. He redeemed my story. He changed my script. And now look what I do. I stand up here every Sunday and I preach. And it's been an incredible journey, but this is not where I thought I would be. But on God's strength, I get to do it. It's amazing. Every Sunday I come in here, and y'all don't know this, but I come in here every, every Sunday morning, and I pray on Sunday mornings, God, give me the grace to preach. Because I don't got it. I, I don't have it. Let my words be your words today. Jesus did this for Peter when he changed his identity. John 1, he said, and he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, you're Simon, which means listener, right? It's not an active thing. It's a passive thing. He said, you're Simon. You're a listener, son of John. He said, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Now, Peter means rock. And Jesus said, I'm going to take you from being passive, from being a listener, somebody that doesn't do anything, to becoming a doer. And upon guys like you, I'll build my church. He changed his identity and changed his future. And if you let God have control, he'll write a new script for your life and give you a new identity or the identity that you were supposed to have all along. Third thing you'll get if you give God control is you'll get a new joy. And many of you think that joy is happiness, but that's not what, hap what joy is. See, joy is not circumstantial. It isn't based on external stuff. It's based on some internal drive, you understand? Joy comes from the inside. Happiness is related to your circumstances. If everything's going my way, then I'm happy. But joy is internal. Joy comes from the fact that you know God's in control and you trust him. You trust that whatever you've given to him and whatever he puts his hands on, that everything is meant for your good. No matter whether it's good or bad that you're going through, you trust him. And joy springs up inside of your life because of that relationship with him. You begin to believe, as you rightly should, that there's nothing this world could do to you that can take your joy away. There's nothing when God, the world can do when God is in control. Genesis 33, 29, this is where, where Jacob says to, to, to the man, he says, please tell me your name. And, and he says, why do you want to know my name? Then he blessed Jacob there. Basically, he said, you don't need head knowledge for this. What you need is for me to touch your life. You need me to bless you. And a lot of us, we get this word confused. We think, we think blessed means something else. Like, like if, if I were to come up to you and say, hey, man, you're driving a really nice car. And you go, oh, thanks, I'm really blessed. Hey, man, that was, that, you have a really beautiful house. Thanks, I'm blessed. Dude, you got a great job. So much cash in the bank. Thanks, I'm blessed. We associate stuff 
with being blessed. But this is not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus didn't, Jesus, or, or he, or, I'm sorry, in this verse here in, in Genesis, this is not what he's talking about where he says he blessed him. He didn't give Jacob a bunch of stuff. What he gave him was an internal joy. What he gave him was much more. This is the same internal joy that's found in the Beatitudes that are in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached in Matthew 5, 6, when he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Meaning they'll be full of joy. Full of joy are those who hunger and thirst for right living because God's just going to give it to them. Not blessed are they who say, God, I want to live my life for you, so give me stuff. No, that's the wrong gospel. That, that ain't the gospel at all. I mean, that sounds like good news, but if you think about it, it's, a, it's not a good trade. When you give your life to him and give control to him and he gives you joy, ah, now that, that I'll take. The point is, if you give your life to God, there's nothing this world can do to you. Who can touch you then? Your life is his, and you know that no matter what happens to you in this earth, you still got eternity with him. Because, by the way, in comparison to eternity, your years on this earth are just a blip, right? So what difference does it make what happens to you? There's joy in that, that no matter what happens, your life is in his hands. He's in control, and you can trust him. You can have joy unspeakable and full of glory, which means you won't be able to explain it. People will scratch their heads at you. Man, you're going through some mess. How is it you're so happy? Because God's in control. I may not be able to see it right now, but I trust him. There's joy in that, said the pastor with a big smile. Give control to God and you'll get new joy, you'll get new identity, and you'll get new strength. Now, as we finish up our lap with Jacob, those are the things Jacob would teach us, but I also believe that Jacob would encourage us in a few things. And I'll be really, really brief with these and quick, but the first thing I think Jacob would encourage us with is that brokenness precedes breakthrough. Brokenness precedes breakthrough. We cannot be who God intends us to be and at the same time hold on to what we think we should be. Let that sink in for a minute. Because nothing can ever happen, nothing is ever going to change in your life until you decide to give in. See, I think many of you come in here with, with a misunderstanding of the nature of God. You come in here understanding God as an angry God, and it's not your fault, it's because we've preached the message, sinners in the hands of an angry God for so many years, that God is angry at us for what we've done in the past, and that he's ready for you to walk in this building so he can shame you and hit you with a lightning bolt. Now, I don't know about you, but that's never happened ever. Not ever here, not anywhere that I know. It's because God's not angry. He, he's not an angry God. He, he, God intends for you just to simply come to him when you haven't lived a perfect life because none of us will. He doesn't expect that. But he does expect you to come to him when you've sinned, when you've made mistakes and say, hey, that was me. See, coming to him and saying, that was me, I messed up, please forgive me, is a recognition of your own brokenness and your need for him. God actually, he's not looking for you to come and say, all right, God, based on these statistics, I've reduced my sin output by 73%, and uh, I'm doing a lot better. No, that's not what God's looking for. Just be faithful to confess your sins. Just come to him and say, it was me. I messed up this week. I messed up in my marriage. I messed up in my relationship. I messed up in my thought life. 
I need you. I, I, I need you. We cannot be who God intended us to be and at the same time hold on to what we think we should be. At some point we need to let go to give him control. To hold on to what we have or we can have all that he has for us by letting go. Psalm 517 says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, listen to these words, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. See, you all thought that true sacrifice was coming to church this morning, but that's not what it is. The true sacrifice is a contrite heart, a heart that says, I'm broken, I'm messed up, and I need your help, God. God's actually attracted to that kind of heart. He desires that. He, He wants a humble heart. From you. First Peter 5 says, God opposes the proud. Now, you don't ever want that word opposes attached to your name when it has to do with God, all right? What you do want is the next line. It says, God opposes the proud but shows favor. You all want to be in a position of favor with God. That's a good place to be. Favor to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. How do you get it? How do you get God's favor? You humble yourself. See, there's a reckoning coming at some point in time. You can either demonstrate humility or you can suffer humiliation. This is how things go. See, God is God and Jesus is Lord. Whether you decide to confess that here on this earth or not, someday you're going to come face to face with him. And the Bible says that whether you confess it here on earth or not, you're all, all of us will be in heaven. And it says every knee will bow, which is, which is a position of humility. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Look, we have an opportunity to humble ourselves, which God is drawn to. Confess our brokenness and our need for him. And that draws God's favor into our lives. You are going to have one or the other, humility or humiliation. It's your choice. So go all in, humble yourself, confess your brokenness to God, knowing that that brokenness precedes breakthrough. Jacob would also encourage you that you must lose yourself to find yourself. You have to lose yourself to find yourself. Your life is never going to be what you hoped it would be until you let go. Mark 8, 34, calling the, cro- to, calling the crowd to join his disciples, which is what I'm doing today. I'm calling to the crowd. There's a crowd of you here today. I'm calling to you to join, to go from being a, somebody who's just attending to belonging, Right? He said, anyone who intends to come with me, here's the secret, has to let me lead. Some of you all know to let him lead, you have to give him control. He says, you're not in the driver's seat, I am. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will say it. Now, I know you all hear this from me often. I tell you to go all in. Just do it. Jump in, both feet, just do it. Let God leave. Give him your all and have all that he has for you. You say, well, Aaron, how do I know how to do that? Well, I'm going to say two words that I say every Sunday. Growth track. You don't understand your spiritual journey? You don't know what God has for you? Go to growth track. It's four easy steps, four easy Sundays. You can sit in there and meet other people that are going to learn it too. In our conference room during second service. Four easy Sundays to know what God's plan and purpose for you is. To understand all that he has for you. What else do we have? We've got our grow groups. Look, I'm going to tell you something. 
The full and fulfilled life, the life that I know that you're looking for, is found in relationship with other Christ followers. I, I was sitting with somebody this week, and they were talking about some pain they were dealing with in their body and how they were struggling. And I said, I had no idea. I didn't know you were hurting that way. What do you need? Has, can I make you a meal? Can I come and visit with you? What do you need? And they said, oh, no, 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 I'm good. Our grow group has just rallied around us and loved us. It's been amazing. They, they call me every day to check on me. They've brought us meals to my family. She's experiencing what I desire for you all to experience. That's a full life of people walking with one another. See, you have to have other people in your life to do all those one another's, those hundred one another's that are found in the Bible. To love one another, serve one another. You can't do that alone. And come to find out that she's just being blessed and her needs being met because she's just in a group. Same thing with our dream team. Get on a team. Be a part. Serve somewhere here. Find out how God's made you and get plugged in that way. Our dream teams, it's fun. Our dream teams, they all chatter with each other on, on an app called GroupMe. And it's fun to watch the conversations because throughout the week, they'll post stuff in there to, to, to rib each other and have fun with each other. But they also post stuff in there like prayer requests. And it's amazing. They say, hey, can you pray for this? We, we watched this week as one, one young man posted, hey, pray for my buddy. He's kind of searching for God. The next thing we got was, hey, my buddy's dad's in the hospital. He's crying out to God. This is amazing. Y'all keep praying for his dad, praying for him. And so we watched as that continued, and we prayed for each other, loved one another, and celebrated as that story turned into something different. Look, just go all in. Get all that God has for you. Lose your old life and discover the new life that you've always wanted anyway, that you never knew how to get. Don't allow what you think you want to get in the way of who God made you to be. Now today is step one of the growth track. Perfect time to jump in. Y'all are already here. You say, we got kids here. Well, we'll take care of them. We'll just check them back in. Good. Jump in. It's your brand new opportunity. Don't just attend a church. Belong. You got to lose yourself to find yourself in the last thing I'll tell you that Jacob would encourage you is this. When you find yourself on God's terms, you find fulfillment. Jesus said, I came to give life and to give life more abundantly. And he's inviting you today to a full and fulfilled life. That's the invitation. And Paul tells us what that invitation looks like. Pay attention to it carefully. This is Romans 12. It's the message paraphrase. It says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and walking around life. What he's talking about there is your job, your family life, your thought life. Take all of it. Just, just take all of it, everything you do, and place it before God as an offering. Do you know that regularly I come before God and I say, I need your help. I'm insufficient. I need you to help me be a good father. I need you to help me be a good spouse. Being completely transparent with y'all, I need help being a good friend sometimes. I need help being a good pastor, being a good leader. And I constantly lay all that I'm doing before God and say, God, I need you. I can't, I can't do it on my own. We lay it out as an offering to him, as a sacrifice to him. That we're no good at it apart from him. And it says embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. 
readily recognize what he wants for you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. This is the invitation. This is what God wants to do in your life. You'll never know what, life you, what your life could become until you hand it over to the very one who created it. So let's do that. Let's pray. Father, today we offer every part of who we are to you. We offer our relationships. We offer our thought life. We offer our careers. We offer our plans. We offer our finances. We offer our, our children and all that we are, every part of us. We offer it to you today. We surrender. We tap out. All we need and want is in you. You are the source of life and fulfillment. Give those of us who are grasping on to life the courage to let go today. Help us, God. There are people in this room, as we continue to pray, you'd say, Aaron, this message describes me. I'm a control freak. I've got to be in control. And maybe, maybe this is even describing Christians, Christ followers already today. Or you'd say, Jesus isn't Lord of every part of my heart and every part of my life. If he's not Lord, you are. For everyone who's ready to let go and give everything to God today, turn away from your own way and turn to Him, we're going to pray a prayer. If you want to be counted in on that prayer, I would just love to know that that's you. Would you just kind of slip your hand up? Nobody's looking around. I'm not going to make you come up to the front. Would you just slip your hand up now and say, Aaron, that's me. I want to give control to Him today. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you can put your hands down, thank you. Thank you. Pray this prayer with me. Jesus forgive me. Make me brand new. I need you in my life. I surrender my life to you today. Would you give me your life and show me how to live for you? And I'll spend every day doing that. Thank you, Jesus. Bible says if you prayed that prayer, 